Uh, today, uh, we're starting a little three-week series, a three-week series looking at Exodus chapter 34. And we're going to be spending three weeks in Exodus 34. And the context for this, but I'm just going to read a few verses in a second, but the context really is in Exodus 33 and uh, verse 18. And Moses is speaking to God, and Moses says to God, now show me your glory. He says, show me your glory. And what we're going to look at, that we're going to be looking at over the next three weeks, uh, is in essence God's response to Moses when Moses has said, show me your glory. So I'm going to read uh, Exodus 34 and verses 4 to 7. So let me read it. Page 93. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones. And went up Mount Sinai early in the morning, as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord, got, uh, the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And as I say, really what we're going to do is we're going to look at these uh, few verses over the next three weeks. Really today, we're going to look at verse 5. Next Sunday, we're going to look at verse 6. And in two weeks' time, we're going to look at the difficult bit about punishing children to the third and fourth generations, verse 7. So come back in two weeks if you want to know the details uh, about that. Uh, But today, as I say, we're going to focus on verse 5. So let me pray, and then we're going to look at it together. Lord, just as Moses said to you, we say now, would you show us your glory? Lord, we pray by the power of your Spirit that you'd show us your glory and that we might be changed by it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The wonderful truth is that God created humans, you and me, in his own image. But the disastrous reality is that ever since then, humans have created God in our own image. We, we make up an image of God so that God, he is exactly looking like us. And we all do it. It isn't just sort of people out there, you know, a typical Londoner saying, I like to think of God as a cuddly Father Christmas or whatever it might be. Actually, we all do it. Christians do it. Uh, John Mark Comer, whose uh, book is called uh, God Has a Name. It's been really useful as I've been preparing this series. But in it, he talks about a New Testament professor. And a New Testament professor, as he's teaching his module on the New Testament to various students, students who are preparing to be church ministers, church leaders. And he says at the start of his module, what he always does for all the students is he gives them two surveys to fill in. The first survey has all sorts of questions about the student. What do they like? What do they dislike? What do they believe in? And then the second survey, it has exactly the same questions as the first survey, 
Except this time, the questions are not about the student, but the questions are about Jesus. What is Jesus like? What does Jesus dislike? What does Jesus believe in? And this New Testament professor, he says that 90% of the time, with 90% of all the students over the years, 90% of the time, their answers to those two surveys are absolutely identical. 90% of the time, what someone thinks about Jesus is that Jesus agrees with me about absolutely everything. But of course, that is how you know when you are creating a totally imaginary God. You know, if God is against all the things that you're against, and he's for all the things that you're for, you are just making God up to be exactly like you. And here's the disastrous consequence of that. If we start making God in our own image, if we think that God, God is just like us, then we start thinking that we don't need to be transformed, that we don't need to change because God and me, we are totally in tune, we're totally in sync. In fact, I would say that if you or I, if we haven't felt challenged by God to change in some way or other, to change something about ourselves in the last week, I would say the chances are that we have been making God in our own image. Chris Martin, he's the, as you'll know, the the lead singer of Coldplay, the former husband of Gwyneth Paltrow before they did a bit of conscious uncoupling. Uh, he, um, He grew up going to church. He grew up going to church, but as a student, he threw his faith in. Now, why? In an interview, he said this. He said, I couldn't believe in a God who would limit sex to one man and one woman for life. Now, as I read that, as you see that on the screen, there will be all sorts of people thinking all sorts of things amongst us. There'll be some of us here, and we are thinking, disaster, Chris Martin rejecting the traditional teaching on sex. There'll be other people here, and you're thinking, disaster, no wonder he left the church with such a restrictive teaching on sex. Come on, we're in the 21st century now. But you know, I didn't put that quote up there for what Chris Martin does or doesn't think about sex. Actually, I think the most disastrous thing about what he says there is not what he says about sex, but about the bit that we have glossed over. The first bit. I think that is the most disaster thing that he says. Look at how he starts. He says, I couldn't believe in a God who... I couldn't believe in a God who, as though what we think about God is the ultimate determinant of who God is and what God is like. I mean, who am I, who are you, who is Chris Martin to decide what God is like? And here's the thing. As much as we might say that the big question in life is does God exist or not, Actually, that is not the biggest question for most people. For most people, the biggest question of all is what kind of God is God? What is God actually like? What's his character? 
Because surely, so many of us think, surely life is not totally meaningless. Surely we're not just here completely by blind chance. Surely everything has not just been created by nothing. And so the question is, what is this God like who is behind it all? What kind of God is God? Last Monday on Radio 4, now I sound very intellectual by saying last Monday on Radio 4, I've got to admit I never listened to Radio 4, but um, I, I'm not intellectual enough, but I, somebody at the 8 o'clock service told me about this and I have listened to it as a result. But on Radio 4 on Monday, Andrew Marr was interviewing Yuval Harari. Now, Yuval Harari, as many of you will know, is the famous author and historian who has written uh, all these books that are Amazon bestsellers. He's written Sapiens, which is a history of the past. Uh, He's written Homo Deus, which is a history of the future. And then most recently, he has written 21 Lessons for the 21st Century, which is a book about the present now. And as Andrew Marr, uh, as he introduced Yuval Harari for his radio show, he described him as an intellectual superstar. And he is. I mean, his books have been huge bestsellers. They are all in Amazon's top 10 books. And in his most recent book, in 21 Lessons for the 21st Century, one of his lessons is about God. One of the chapters, it is simply entitled God. And this is how he starts that chapter. This is the first few sentences. He says, does God exist? That depends on which God you have in mind, the cosmic mystery or the worldly lawgiver. And as you continue with this chapter about God, you discover that Yuval Harari, he discards all the so-called worldly lawgiver gods of the classic religions of the world, including the Christian God. He says that they are all make-believe, they're totally fictional. But he is much, much more positive about the cosmic mystery God. This is what he says. He says, I personally never cease to wonder about the mystery of existence, i.e. the cosmic mystery God. When I use the word God, I think of the God of the Islamic State, of the Crusades, of the Inquisition, and of the God Hates Fags banners. When I think of the mystery of existence, I prefer to use other words so as to avoid confusion. And unlike the God of the Islamic State and the Crusades, who cares a lot about names and above all about his most holy name, the mystery of existence doesn't care an iota about what names we apes give it. Now what do you reckon to that? I would say that Harari, he is right in part. On our own, we cannot tell a lot about what God is like. God is a cosmic mystery. But there is a solution to finding out about this cosmic mystery God, a solution which Harari rejects, and that is for this God who is behind everything, this God to reveal himself to us. And over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at this little bit of the Bible, Exodus 34, where God does just that, where God reveals who he is to Moses, where God says what name us so-called apes should give him, and where he says what kind of God he is so that we no longer need to keep guessing. And you know, what we're going to discover is 
that God isn't, as Harari thinks, God isn't a worldly lawgiver invented by our ancestors in order to maintain morality and social order. But actually God is something far, far more real and something far, far, far more wonderful. So here's the background. Moses is by himself on a mountain. He's in the wilderness, having left Egypt. He's leading God's people through the wilderness to the promised land. And today, really, I want to focus on just one word. Not even one verse, but one word. God's name. The Hebrew word, Yahweh. It's translated in our Bibles as the Lord, with Lord in capital letters. If you just look after verse 5, halfway through verse 5, he says, He proclaimed his name, the Lord, Yahweh. Verse 6, and he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh. Now, actually, this bit in, in chapter 34, it is not the first time in Exodus that God has revealed his name. The first time that God actually reveals his name is back in Exodus chapter 3 with Moses and the burning bush. So I wonder if you might just keep your finger in, in Exodus 34, but just turn back to page 60 and to Exodus chapter 3. Page 60, Exodus chapter 3, just to see this first time where God reveals his name. So Exodus 3 and verses 13 and 14. Let me read them. Page 60. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. Now back in Exodus 34, the bit we're looking at today, where it says Yahweh, the Lord, it is the same idea as back in Exodus 3, I am who I am. It is exactly the same as I am who I am, but this time it's not in the first person, but the third person. He is who he is. That's what Yahweh means. He is who he is. The Lord. That is God's name. And this evening I long that we might see that just by looking at God's name alone, it teaches each of us at least two things about what kind of God God is. And here's the first thing that it teaches us. It teaches us, just by looking at God's name, that God is a God who wants a relationship with you. God wants a relationship with you. Susanna and I, we've been married for 17 years now. And over the time, we've developed a sort of few names for each other, not, not rude ones, but, you know, terms of endearment, that kind of thing. Uh, and um, uh, the, the, the names that have most sort of stuck over the years are the names Dubs and Dibs. Okay, she is Dubs, I'm Dibs, obviously. Okay, uh, Now, nobody else calls me Dibs apart from Susanna, and woe betide you if you do, you'll be in big trouble if you do. But Susanna does, and she is allowed to call me Dibs, because I am her husband. Mrs. Wynne, Reverend Wynne, the rector of Clapham, 
Those are titles. Those are what people distant from us call us. But dibs and dubs, they're not titles. They are names. Those are what people very close to us call us. And you see, the danger is, when it comes to God, is that we look in our Bibles and we see the Lord in capital letters, and it sounds like a title, it sounds like a language of distance. Whereas actually, what God is saying to you and me, he's saying, here is my name. Here's my name, not my title. Yahweh, it is my name. It's like dibs and dubs. It's a language of intimacy. Yuval Harari says God being bothered about what name us apes call him, that is about God wanting us, sorry, that's about God wanting to be a worldly lawgiver, bludgeoning us into submission and making us follow bizarre rules and rituals and laws. Yuval Harari could not be further from the truth when he says that. God giving us his name is actually telling us that God, he wants a relationship with us. He wants an intimate relationship, more intimate than dibs and dubs. It's nothing to do with being a worldly lawgiver. It's about intimacy, him wanting a relationship with you. It's why Jesus, when he was on earth, he said, call God Father, Abba, Father. Even more fundamentally, it's why Jesus referred to himself as Yahweh. You may remember in in John's gospel, John 8, 58, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. He's referring to saying he is Yahweh. I am who I am. Yahweh in the Old Testament is Jesus in the New Testament. Jesus is the long-awaited human coming of Yahweh. He is the great I am. He's that glorious. He's that mighty. And yet he has come to us. In intimacy, personally, closer than dibs and dubs, wanting a relationship with you and with me. That's the first thing God's name teaches us. God wants a relationship with you. Here's the second thing. God is a God who is worthy of your worship. Have a look at verse 6. You'll see there that God says his name twice. He says, the Lord, the Lord, repeating for emphasis. It's like writing in capitals, typing in bold, adding lots of emojis to your WhatsApp message. He repeats his name for the simple reason that there was a belief in all sorts of gods. And he's saying, I am the one and only God who is worthy of your worship. I am Yahweh, Yahweh. As he said in the Ten Commandments, you are to have no other gods but me. But what's just been happening in Exodus? Just two chapters previously, Exodus 32, you'll remember that the God's people, they've been making a golden calf and they start worshipping that golden calf rather than God. And we are no different today. We make idols that we start worshipping rather than God. You know, worship is not a religious thing. Worship is a human thing. We can't not worship. All of us are worshippers. The only choice we have is what are we going to worship? What are we going to worship? Is it a golden coin? A golden calf or Yahweh? When we're struggling, when we're in need, where do we turn? Do we turn to retail therapy? 
or a relationship or Yahweh. When we're looking for the meaning to life in the past, in the present, in the future, where do we turn? To Yuval Harari or to Yahweh? And here's the thing. If we worship the wrong God, it will devour us or disappoint us. Worship money. Worship being rich. And we will always find that we're disappointed. That we feel like we don't have enough. That we're not satisfied. Worship health. And what will happen is we'll find that as we grow old or as we get ill, we will find that even more crippling than it needs to be. Worship a human being. And at some point, sometimes, someday, they will let us down. Worship the wrong God, and it will devour us or disappoint us. The Saturday Times magazine a few weeks ago had an interview with Yuval Harari, and it described his childhood in Israel. And as you might expect, he was known to be a complete brain box, and he went uh, to a school, particularly for gifted children, which was on top of a mountaintop. And apparently at the school, uh, from a really young age, he would cause absolute chaos at the school, because he'd constantly be asking all the adults about the meaning to life. All the time, he'd be asking, asking, asking them what the meaning to life was. And in this little interview, he, um, he explained one time about when he went to visit the school counsellor. I think he was about age 10. And he wanted to go and visit the school counsellor to explain what he had already worked out about the meaning of life. And this is what he says. He says, I remember quite distinctly that I had this strong notion that if I explained to her, the counsellor, what I just understood, she'd be flabbergasted. And she would say, I am quitting my job. I'm going to change everything in my life. But no, she just brushed it aside. Now, obviously, Harari, he has become an amazingly talented man as he's grown up, as he's gone on from his mountaintop school. But this is how the interviewer finished the whole article about him. The interviewer wrote this. He said, Harari may be a multimillionaire and publishing sensation, but it's hard not to see him still as a boy on a mountaintop trying to get a distracted world to look at what is really important. And really the question that I want to ask each one of us this evening is this. Who is the God on the top of your mountain? What God are you worshipping? It may be a very clear pretend God, an idol. It might be money or sex or popularity or influence. That's what you're worshipping. It might be that there is a person on the mountaintop of your life. You are worshipping a person, your spouse, or your hope for, your desired spouse. You're worshipping them. It might be that it's someone like Yuval Harari who is on your mountaintop. You are looking to him. He's providing us, you hope, with all the answers about what is really important in life. 
But for many of us, I wonder if the pretend God on top of our mountain is just that. It is a God who we have made in our own image. On the top of our mountain is a God who dislikes what we dislike and who likes what we like. A God who is passionate about what we are passionate about and is permissive and relaxed about the things that we are permissive and relaxed about. A God who is the spokesperson for our agenda and believes what we believe. A God that does not confront us. A God that does not challenge us. A God that does not ask us to change because our make-believe God thinks exactly like we do. For us, certainly all too often for me, our God is ourselves. We put ourselves on that mountaintop. We are our own idol. We worship ourselves. We have made God in our own image. Do you remember what Harari, what he writes? He says, does God exist? That depends on which God you have in mind, the cosmic mystery or the worldly lawgiver. Yuval Harari, he has stepped off his mountaintop of his gifted school and he has become, in effect, yet another worldly lawgiver. He's become a very astute one. He's become one highly attuned to our bewildering times in the 21st century. But at the end of the day, with all the books that he's written, he is, in effect, his books are just giving us another worldly law. This is how you should live. You know, the only God, the only cosmic mystery that is worthy of our worship is the one who has revealed his name to Moses on another mountaintop. And this God, he steps off the mountain. He steps off the mountaintop to reveal who he is. And he reveals who he is, not a worldly lawgiver, but a heavenly love giver. He is not a formula, but he is a friend. And he wants a relationship with you like dibs and dubs. And to grow in your relationship with him, you don't need to climb up a mountain to him. Because he has climbed down the mountain to you and given his life for you. This God, his name is Yahweh and his name is Jesus. His character is unchanging. He says, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. He hasn't softened his image over time and become a bit less full on. He doesn't expect you to try and mold him into your own image. He loves you. But he longs that you and I, that we might increasingly be molded into his image as God's spirit works in us. And you know, that starts, and that continues as we, if you like, tear any idols off our mountaintop. We tear any idols that we have placed on that mountaintop, and we allow him to reign supreme in our lives. Unlike all other supposed gods... Jesus will not disappoint us, and he will not devour us. 
He alone will provide us with all the meaning, all the significance, all the purpose, all the love that we need in this life and for eternity. And he alone, he alone is worthy of our worship. Shall we pray as we sit? Let's pray. William Cowper was a, um, a hymn writer around the same time as William Wilberforce. And he wrote a hymn that some of you may have heard of called, Oh, for a Closer Walk with God. And this was one of the verses in that hymn. The dearest idol I have known, whate'er that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. And just in the quiet, let's just take a moment to ask God to continue to work in us by his spirit. To point out those idols in our life that need to be torn from God's throne. Let's just be quiet for a moment. We're going to have a a time now to respond more. And I guess just very simply I want to say this. If you're wanting to put Yahweh, Jesus, on the mountaintop of your life, if you've been challenged this evening to tear off any other idol from your mountain. If you know, just as I do, that you all too often have been making God in your own image so that you don't need to change, so you don't need to be challenged. If you're with William Cowper and his hymn, Oh, for a closer walk with God, that is what you're longing for. Then I'm going to ask you as we respond in a moment now, I'm going to ask you to come forward to be prayed for doesn't matter who you are, whether you're someone coming forward and you're saying for the very first time, I want Jesus to be on the throne of my life, or whether you've been a Christian for ages, whether you're a connect group leader on the PCC, or it's your very first time here at church. God's been speaking to you. We'd love to pray for you. So should we stand? The band are going to come up. Some of the prayer team are going to come up, but I'd love you to come up. God's been speaking to you tonight, and you'd like to be prayed for. Uh, Just come forward right now. Uh, Just push through uh, and come up if you'd like to be prayed for.